the book of Proverbs this morning, uh, chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20, let's stand together as we do that. As we turn there, uh, just to let you know, of course, next uh, uh, Sunday is Christmas Eve, and we will have our regular services at this time. Of course, a Christmas uh, message, so it's a great time to invite uh, family and friends that aren't familiar with the meaning of Christmas. And then uh, Sunday evening, 6 o'clock, it'll be a one-hour uh, communion service. And so each of you are invited to that. And uh, as these men make their way up the aisles with Bibles, just flag them and they'll get one into your hands if you don't have one. We like everybody to uh, see the Word and, and to, as well as to uh, hear it. And then one final reminder, Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, currently studying in the book of Acts, where we'll be tonight at 6, and each of you are invited to that as well. Single verse to start us, Proverbs chapter 20, uh, verse 6. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Let's pray. Father, how... um, endlessly and unfailingly grateful we are for your word and how you have used it to change our lives to protect us Lord to lead us into a depth of relationship with you that leaves us humbled and leaves us in awe Jesus we sang to you today and is anyone worthy is anyone whole And as you know, living inside of me, that phrase, is anyone whole, uh, always, always hits me. Thank you for your wholeness, a wholeness that is unique to you. We pray that you would impart your wholeness, Lord, by your Holy Spirit into our lives today as we study your word and we ask it in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We continue our series this morning on Sunday morning entitled Timeless Wisdom and a topical study of the book of Proverbs, which teaches us how to live a life that is a blessing to God, which is our chief concern, a blessing to our fellow man, and also a blessing to ourselves, and how to live that life in the nitty-gritty of this fallen world that we live in with so many obstacles to such a life. And this morning we come to the vital subject and the vital uh, topic and virtue of faithfulness in our lives and in uh, a human life. I think it's important to begin with a clear understanding of what faithfulness is. I know we all have our own definitions of it in our own mind. A picture comes to mind. uh, But what God, uh, how He sees faithfulness and how we see it or how it's defined by our culture can be two entirely different things. Maybe not, but often it is. So one good definition of uh, faithfulness that I looked up in, a, in the dictionary was the quality of being faithful to someone or something. 
And uh, so sometimes you turn to the dictionary and they just reuse the word and they're hardly any help at all. Sometimes it's all circular, so that's hardly helpful uh, to me. Maybe a more insightful one, and certainly a more insightful one, uh, is uh, as a definition is to be steadfast in affection or allegiance in the realm of our relationships, to be firm in adherence to promises we have made and the steadfast fulfillment of one's duty. And so it is to be trustworthy in our relationships in life, to be trustworthy in terms of our word and our vows, and also to be trustworthy in fulfilling the responsibilities entrusted to us uh, in life. Now, it's not always helpful to try and understand a subject by uh, declaring its contrast, but uh, usually it is. And so it's good to sometimes as we uh, look and say, well, where am I on the spectrum of uh, faithfulness by talking a little bit about the opposite of what faithfulness uh, is so we can see where we are on that faithful, unfaithful kind of spectrum. The opposite of faithfulness includes one who is untrustworthy, uh, someone who is flaky, uh, the person who is unreliable. Uh, They're disloyal, they're not dedicated, uh, or irresponsible, irresponsible. The Hebrew word that Solomon uses here for faithful by the Holy Spirit is very illuminating. Uh, it, as we might expect, it means to support, to uphold, to be certain, to be trustworthy, to be steadfast, to be reliable. But the word also carries the idea of to believe in. In other words, what Solomon is communicating here in his use of this word is that at the foundation of the word faithful is the word faith, communicating that at the heart of the necessity of faithfulness in our lives, whether it is in our relationships or concerning our promises that we make to people, is the fact that someone has placed their faith in us to be that and to do that. Others are depending on us to be faithful, and they have built or they have made their decisions concerning their future upon us and upon our faithfulness. In other words, a failure in the area of faithfulness in our lives never affects us solely and perhaps not even supremely, but it affects a very large group of people uh, around us in life. And so it's important that we prove ourselves faithful to the faith that others have placed in us. For instance, in our marriage vows, every husband or wife enters into their marriage trusting that their spouse will keep the vow that they have made on their wedding day. Forsaking all others, I take you as my husband, my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And in every marriage, each spouse puts 
and enormous trust and enormous faith in the other spouse. And not for a week or a month or a year, but they're trusting them for the rest of their lives to be faithful to those vows. There is the employer who depends upon the faithfulness of his or her employees that have told them that they will do uh, certain uh, things and who depend upon us to do a full day's work for a full day's pay, who then make financial decisions and commitments concerning the future that involves huge amounts of money, involves commitments that involve weeks and months and sometimes years, and they do so having put their faith in us, trusting that we will be and we will do what we have said that we will be and do to them. They're the promises that we make to our children. And they then trust us to keep those promises. And what a terrible loss it is for any child to be forced to learn about a parent that they can't be trusted, that they're not faithful to the faith that has been placed in them, in that relationship. And we could go on to mention broader relationships or the trust of employees toward employers or the trust of parents toward children, the trust of a customer toward a business and so forth. Nothing truly meaningful in life can be healthy without faithfulness. And thus it's good to stop and consider uh, the stakes that are involved in each of our lives in this area of life called faithfulness and to stop and consider that faithfulness is required in our lives because someone has put their very precious faith in us. Our commitments to them have awakened hope in them on some level, a hope and faith that will either be rewarded or damaged based upon our faithfulness and thus to treat their faith in us with great maturity and to treat it with great sobriety. Now, let's turn to Solomon's instruction concerning faithfulness here by the Holy Spirit. Again in uh, chapter 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? I think there's other translations that are helpful in this regard. The NIV puts it, many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. And then in the New Living Translation, many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? And Solomon is communicating in this passage a couple of things. Number one, that in terms of faithfulness, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. And that faithfulness, number two, and specifically a truly faithful person, is a rarity in life. And so there are these zillions and zillions of people in life who say and they promise that they'll always be there for us, always be faithful to us. Then when the promise gets tested, only a very rare few will then rise up and be faithful to us and to the promises of loyalty and faithfulness that they have made. And how is it that faithfulness is held 
in such a high regard in our lives and held even yet in a high regard um, within our culture and still be so rare in its actual expression. Why do we have to be commanded to be faithful in life? Why is there this yawning gap that Solomon describes between good intentions related to faithfulness and our actual practice? I think there's a lot of things that fight against that. For some of us, it's because we overpromise. We promise much more than we know that we can even deliver to the other person that we're promising to. Sometimes we overpromise out of uh, good intentions. Sometimes we overpromise out of pride, or we overpromise out of a desire to be thought well of uh, by other people, to be thought of better than we actually deserve in the minds of other people. Or it can be that we have always been, or we have all uh, perhaps. Uh, become very casual in our attitude uh, in terms of our speech and our promises uh, to other people. And so we become like the culture that is around us in the United States of America, and uh, our culture is known as being very straightforward in terms of language and speaking and direct and all of these things as opposed to the British or, or whatever, and maybe it's true, that perception of us uh, around uh, the world. But it's interesting in this area of commitment and, and over-promising uh, that our culture is absolutely characterized by over-speaking our actual loyalty and commitment to others. And so where these promises and expressions of love and loyalty are continually made with no intention of keeping them, no intention of ever being faithful uh, to them. I'll call you back. I'll get back to you. Yes, we'll get together and, uh, and have lunch. And these things that we just say, and then this kind of leaven then creeps into everything else in our lives until our words mean nothing. Then there's the enemy of selfishness to all of this. Selfishness is at the core of all unfaithfulness. Inevitably, faithfulness to the promises that we've made to anyone, whether it's made to a spouse, whether it's made to our next-door neighbor, Ultimately, somewhere along the line, it will require the denial of self in order to be faithful to that vow or to be faithful to that promise. Because the day comes inevitably when there is that, uh, that faithfulness is called upon and then at that moment in time, I don't want to do it. It's not a convenient time for me to keep that vow or that word. I want to do something else uh, with that time. It's something, it's not, won't be fun for me. And no one can be faithful in life without being self-sacrificial. And so where uh, to be a man or a woman of my word means more to me than even my own selfishness or self-will. And clearly Solomon tells us that faithfulness to our word is a test. 
It is a test of our godly character. And then dismally he tells us that it is uh, a test that very few uh, pass. And remember, Solomon is not writing to the pagan world. He is writing to God's people in the book of Solomon, in the book of Proverbs. It applies to the world, but that's not who he writes to supremely. Now, Solomon doesn't write this proverb in order for, uh, to provoke the response in us. Hey, you know, ain't that the truth? Amen, Solomon, you know. I've had so many people promise things in my life, and they've never come through when the rubber hits the road, and people are so unfaithful to their vows and their word in life. You sure got it right, and who can find a faithful person? Now, God rarely puts verses in the Bible to provoke that kind of a response in us of self-pity and, and bitterness. Now, he writes this in order that in knowing this to be true, knowing how rare a faithful person is in life, and knowing it to be true from our own experience, by virtue of other people being unfaithful uh, to us and remembering the bitter disappointment of that in our own lives that we would read this proverb and then allow it to produce within us a determination and a commitment not to be that person, but a determination and a commitment to be this rare person that Solomon talks about, to be faithful to our words and our promise promises to others. Years ago I read, and I can't remember whether it was a bumper sticker and, uh, or whether it was a plaque in a store I saw it online or I don't know what, but, uh, but it read, become the person you want to be. And, uh, uh, and become the person you want to be. Let me stop and, get, and give some thought to that. Of course, it's intended to encourage uh, self-improvement in terms of our uh, our character, and I assume uh, that, that each of us uh, sees certain character traits in other people that we would desire to mark our own lives, traits that if they did mark our lives would make us a better person, traits like being more patient with others or listening better, weighing our words better, being kinder, being more loving, speaking up when somebody ought to speak up or being more optimistic or bold about the future and how I view it, to be slower and more deliberate in my decision-making, and so forth. We all recognize things that we see and admire in other people that are um, not so well expressed in our lives. And, and we, uh, uh, we want that to be a part of our lives. And that saying become the person you want to be, it exhorts people to actually make those changes in their lives rather than spending their entire lives wishing they were something other than what they are and, uh, and someone other than what they, uh, uh, someone else and never acting upon it. And sometimes I think this can be a revelation to people. The idea that we can actually make changes in our lives and become the people that we long to be in terms of our character. Now, a non-Christian can only take that 
Uh, that adage and that counsel can only take it so far. But for the Christian who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit and who longs to possess the character of Christ, the sky is the limit. In other words, if I examine my life, our, if we examine our lives here this morning and we recognize a great lack of this characteristic of faithfulness in our lives, to acknowledge that to God in prayer. Now see, I, I'm not anywhere near where I, I want to be or I need to be in this area uh, in my life and then to express to God in prayer my desire for that to change. Would you change that uh, in, in my life? Would you cause me to grow in this area uh, of my life? Would you produce this in my life in a greater measure by your Holy Spirit? And the wonder of wonders is that the Lord will do that. The one thing that we don't want to do is to recognize this need in our life and then leave our time in God's Word and head out to our cars after the service exactly in exactly the same condition as we came in with if that condition is unfaithful. And God will always help us to become the person you want to be when the person you want to be is Jesus. But the decision is ours this morning. Solomon speaks further on this issue of faithfulness. If you turn a couple pages to the right, to Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19. Confidence in an unfaithful, that is an unreliable man, in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. You know, it doesn't say uh, like a bad tooth or a foot out of joint. It's worse than that. It's like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. So here you have one of the most picturesque proverbs found in the entire book of, of Proverbs, and it describes the painful experience of entrusting something important to another person, a message or a task to perform to an unfaithful person. It always results in great pain in the person who trusted them. And, and Solomon says the pain is comparable to trying to eat with a bad tooth. I suppose that many of us in this room have endeavored to do that. Isn't it amazing how teeth seem to break or the filling comes out or whatever it is on a Friday? Everything medical happens on a Friday, it seems. And now you've got to try and eat and sip and drink and whatever through the weekend with this, this bad tooth. And that tooth reminds you of, uh, in, in a miserable way, uh, day and night. It's miserable to try and uh, to live with a bad tooth, much less try to eat with a bad tooth. Every day, your teeth don't hurt is a good day. That's a proverb I'm hoping will make me famous someday, but I'm, I'm not confident. It's a pain comparable to walking with a foot out of joint. In other words, unfaithful people are useless and painful, and the pain that they cause is constant, and it's inescapable, and they make the lives of others painful 
as Solomon is indicating from head to toe. And what Solomon is doing in this passage, and it's very, very important, is he's giving us a close-up look at the ill effect the unfaithful person has upon all of those who are trusting in them. And it's certainly intended to jar the unfaithful person from thinking, as can so often be the case, that I am the only one bearing the consequences of my unfaithfulness, or to give no thought to the ill effect of their unfaithfulness upon others. There are other Proverbs that drive home the same point. I won't have you turn to them, but I will read them to you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26, as vinegar to the teeth. I don't know the last time you've gargled with vinegar. Probably never, I hope. Sometimes my wife Karen, she'll clean out the coffee maker or the iron or whatever these appliances are with vinegar or whatever. It's bad enough to have it just in the air. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man uh, to those who send him. In other words, they're frustrating and irritating. We would say they're worse than useless. They make you want to spit or cry. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 6. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool, an unfaithful person, cuts off his own feet and drinks violence or, or po- poison. Not only are they not of any help, but they make everything that they touch far worse for those who trust in them. But then thankfully Solomon doesn't leave us there with just, uh, with, without speaking to the other end of the, the faithfulness spectrum, the blessing that faithfulness is to others when it characterizes our lives. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 17. A, sacred, uh, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 13. Like the cold of snow... In time of harvest, in other words, it's not talking about the blessing of having snow during a wheat harvest in the Middle East. It's talking about being a worker in the harvest field. And imagine if somebody could go to Mount Hermon and bring down ice water and give it to you and refresh you in the middle of that harvest. And so as like The cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the souls of his masters. Now, as strongly as Solomon addresses the subject and the importance of faithfulness in the book of Proverbs, what he says here absolutely pales in comparison to how the importance of faithfulness is described and presented in the New Testament, and most specifically, by Jesus himself. Jesus concluded his parable of the talents in which he describes a future day in which every Christian is going to stand uh, before him to be judged, not to be judged for our sins. Those are forgiven. Uh, and, And that is not in play at all. Uh, not to be judged where our eternal salvation or eternity in heaven is at stake. God speaks of our ultimate destination in heaven one day as being so sure that He speaks of it in the past tense. 
But he speaks here of our faithfulness to live the Christian life that the Bible calls us uh, to live. And for our faithfulness then to his specific call upon our lives in the realm of our Christian uh, service. And so those who are faithful to these things will one day individually, personally hear from the mouth and lips of Jesus, well done thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He will not say, well done, thou good and talented servant, or well done, thou good and uh, successful servant, or famous servant, but well done, thou good and faithful servant. Our eternal portion in heaven one day will be determined in some way entirely on the basis of being a good servant, being a person, being a Christian, God calls us to be and then empowers us to be in the world, just to live a simple life of obedience to God's uh, commandments, as well as then also uh, being a faithful servant, being faithful to the specific calling that he has upon uh, our lives for our little short period in human history. For me, that would be uh, being a pastor. For you, it's something else, being a mom, being a wife, being all these other titles that we, that we wear in life. And no Christian who does not hear those words from Jesus directed to us can ever consider ourselves to have lived a successful life. And faithfulness lies at the core of all of it. You see, there is a sense in which God, having called us to be and to do certain things in this world as Christians, and thus having at the moment of our salvation surrendered our lives to Him now to be used fully for His purposes and for His will, making the commitment uh, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow Him. That was the commitment that we made and that, Jesus, and that God then took that surrender seriously and as a result of taking that surrender seriously, he committed spiritual and eternal responsibilities to us. He put his faith in us, so to speak. He trusted in us, so to speak, to be faithful to that vow that we made to him. And him taking that vow seriously by entrusting a stewardship to us. No Christian will ever hear that well done independent of living a life marked by faithfulness. And that's how important this trait is in life and how important it is to God. Concerning faithfulness, Jesus also taught in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. 
Why would he need to say something that is so obvious and in such a common uh, sense, except for the fact that we appear to have a tremendous capacity for self-deception in this realm of faithfulness? And that is to convince ourselves that the lack of faithfulness in our lives today is not an indication that I am actually unfaithful because if we were given circumstances greater than our present ones, we would prove ourselves then faithful in those circumstances. And Jesus says that's a lie. That's a self-deception. It's a lie we tell ourselves that what we are now in our present circumstances concerning faithfulness, we will continue to be if we ended up in the circumstances we long for. Because faithfulness is never about environment. It is always a matter of character. And life is not lived in the future. It is lived in the present. It is a long string of today's that constitutes a life. And it is what we are today that is the reality about ourselves and not what we dream ourselves to be someday. It's a very famous author and speaker today, very, very well known. And uh, I like a lot of what he has to say. I don't like it when he gets into the Bible. Uh, but he wrote a, a book, and in one of the chapters of his book, he communicates this very thing. Uh, and in that uh, chapter of the book, he instructs his reader uh, to clean up our own house or to clean up our own room before we think uh, we have any hope of cleaning up anything larger in life, much less the whole world. And it's a word for our day. There's a whole world of people uh, who are uh, under the illusion that, uh, that they have the capacity uh, to fix the whole world and they haven't learned how to keep their room clean on a daily basis or to make their bed on a daily basis and somehow have convinced themselves that given the reins of the international and national world that were turned over to them, that they wouldn't make as great a mess in their irresponsibility and lack of faithfulness of the whole world that they've made of their own room and their unfaithfulness to that small environment. And so it all starts with us. It starts with our life, our little world. And for the Christian, again, we can start to choose to, to choose to live faithful to God's Word presently and the little things He has us doing and to be faithful in His call upon our lives. And why can we choose to do that as Christians? Because upon surrendering our lives to the Lord in this way, which we did at the time of our being born again, but can be done repeatedly afterwards to just come to God and say, God, I surrender myself once again to your word. I surrender myself once again to the Christianity I read in the Bible. 
not the one that I've made up in my own head and refashioned all these years later. And the Holy Spirit within us will then take us by the hand and He will then lead us into a life of faithfulness, to lead us into a life like Christ, including a life of faithfulness to our words and our vows and God's call upon our lives. Jesus declared of Himself in terms of His own faithfulness. And to be born again is to have the Holy Spirit come into our lives, the Spirit of Christ He's called, and for Jesus now to live His life through us. And faithfulness in our lives is an indication of uh, the, uh, the willingness, the submission uh, to Him to produce this characteristic in our lives. But Jesus declared of Himself, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Faithfulness. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Jesus, on the night before the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, stumbled forward and fell on his face in prayer, and he said, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I, but as you will. And then in that same night, he also prayed to the Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And the Apostle John, who was the only apostle who did not abandon Jesus and stood at the base of the cross through those hours on that cross, declared in his epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, He, that's us, who says He abides in Him, that is in Jesus, ought Himself also to walk just as He that is, Jesus walked. That is, in faithfulness to the Father's will for our lives and obedience to His Word and His plan. And so as Christians, we ask ourselves this morning, are we still being faithful to our vow to God that we made at one time to repent of our sins and to commit our lives wholly to Him for His purposes to be accomplished through our lives. The commitment that we made, the vow that we made to deny ourselves, take up our cross in order to be able to follow Him where He goes in life. And if that's the case, then hallelujah related to our lives if they're in that place. But I suspect that if the truth were made known this morning, as God knows it, He too might cry out with Solomon, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Jesus declared of the hour that He would return to rapture the church, and, and at the time of that rapture of the church, the spiritual condition uh, of the world, of it he declared, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That is, Christians living 
a vital, active, genuine uh, faith and life in him. And so we ask ourselves before God and in the privacy of our own hearts, are there any vows that we've made in life to him that we're no longer being faithful to? And to begin that uh, with God. And then if there are, then to rededicate our lives to God this morning, to by his grace, then to live our lives faithful to the vows that we made in making him our Savior, but not merely our Savior, but our Lord as well. And then having got that, gotten that right with him, to then recommit to every other vow I have made to others that I am no longer being faithful to in my life. If you sit here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, Solomon asked, who can find a faithful man? And it's a great observation, and it's a great question. But the greater question for you is, who can make a faithful man? And it is God who will do that. If you sit here today and you say, I have never been faithful in my entire life, I, I, I am dominated by sin. I hate myself. I hate what I am. I see, I understand all the damage that I've done in life, but I've tried and it doesn't work. But until, when God saves us, he doesn't work on the edges of us. Our lives are never going to change in any dramatic way and not in any meaningful way if we're just working these little kind of uh, improvements on the edge of our life. The solution is to put my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and then to be born again as a result of that, to have God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit come into my life and then that Holy Spirit giving me now the desire to and the power to live the life that's described in Scripture and then produce the life of Christ within me. And then it works from the inside out and it works everything together. And then God, when He comes into our lives, the Bible says He doesn't just give us a new start. He makes us into a new creation. No matter what the sin is in our life, no matter what is destroying our life, no matter what is unlike God or destroying the lives of those around us, and a lack of faithfulness will do it as effectively as any other sin in life. But he comes in, and now he gives us a desire to live that life, and then the power to live that life that we desire. And that only comes into a human life by being born again. If you are here this morning and you would like to repent of your sins, trust in Jesus Christ for that forgiveness, be delivered from the judgment that your sin deserves, both now and eternally, to have the confidence at the end of this life you will one day land wonderfully in that place called heaven, and on and on and on it goes. There are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to pray with you to begin that. 
personal relationship with God that you've been created for. If you sit here this morning, and again, in the privacy of our own hearts, I have no inclination ever to have people stand or to have people come forward or all of that. This is between us and God. I don't want that for my own life. But if I look and I say, and I look and I say, I have a need to rededicate my life to God. I, I don't need to be saved again. I know I'm saved. But I have work moved very far away from the Christian life that he describes in the scriptures and from his call upon my life and his purposes. And I don't want to leave this place until that is made right. Well, that can be made right right in the seat you're sitting in. After the service and people leave, we can sit in our own chair and take care of things or get in the car and go take a walk on the canal today and deal with it. Or if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, these same men and women would love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for this instruction from your word today. Thank you that you speak to us. You speak truth to us. And you speak wholeness and health into our lives. And we thank you that you're concerned about every part of our lives. Thank you for allowing us just in the privacy of our own personal relationship with you to give consideration to this great subject, this great mark of character that marks our Savior concerning our own life this morning. We pray that whatever needs to happen in the realm of our will between us and you and then us and others every intention that you have behind this teaching in each one of our lives, that you would continue what it is that you've said in your word until all of it is accomplished within our lives. For your glory and your blessing, the blessing of our fellow man, and our own blessing as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.